Welcome to the NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast. I'm Sean Piles. This is part two of our nerdy deep dive into the cost of childcare. In this episode, Amanda Barrasso and Eliza Durana explore the personal finance and tax strategies to pay for childcare. Welcome back to the podcast, you guys. Hey there, Sean. Thanks for the warm welcome. Hey, Sean. So in the first episode of the series, we talked about the various factors that make childcare expensive, difficult to find, or competitive to get into for parents. And listeners, if you've not checked that out yet, I highly recommend that you do so. And Amanda and Eliza, what do you have in store for us this episode? In this episode, we're going to talk with two of our very own nerds to learn more about tax breaks and employer benefits that we think parents should be aware of, along with some other strategies that might help parents consider their budgets in the long term. We also speak to an early childhood education advocate, Mai Mixick, from Pennsylvania. You're going to hear her expertise woven throughout this episode alongside some nerdy experts of our own. Today, we're drafting tax nerd Sabrina Paris to help us decipher potential tax benefits. We'll be discussing four main policies, the child tax credit, the child and dependent care credit, the earned income tax credit, and employer-sponsored dependent care FSA programs. Whoa, what a mouthful. Yes, very much so. And one quick note before we move forward and learn about all of these is that we're not financial or tax advisors, and this info is for general educational purposes. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's welcome tax nerd Sabrina. Hey, Amanda and Aliza. Thanks for having me on the podcast. We're so happy to have you here to help break down some of this complicated and complex tax stuff for us. So to get started, tell me about the child tax credit. What is it? Who can access it and how much of a dent can it make? The child tax credit was first introduced way back in 1997 as part of the Taxpayer Relief Act. And the intention behind it, much like the name implies, was to provide some sort of financial relief to folks with kids. So if you've got qualifying dependents and you meet certain income qualifications, you can claim the credit when you file your taxes. An important thing to note about the credit, though, is that it's partially refundable. That means it can potentially lower your tax bill to zero if you owe taxes. And if you don't, or it does cut your bill down a little bit, it's possible that you get a portion of it back, not the full thing, as a refund. How much can people get and who qualifies? So the exact credit amount can fluctuate year to year based on things like legislation or inflation. But folks who claim it would get a credit of up to $2,000 per dependent under the age of 17. And some of that 2000 would be potentially refundable. Now, the exact amount of credit that folks will get will ultimately depend on a number of other factors, including income. And most importantly, you need to have what the IRS calls a qualifying child. The silver lining here, though, is that a qualifying child is defined pretty broadly in the eyes of the IRS. That means a qualifying child can be like a biological child, a stepchild, a foster child, a grandchild, even a niece or nephew. You just have to make sure that you're rightfully claiming them on your tax return as a dependent. Another nice little detail is that families who generally don't file taxes due to their lower income status um, can file a simple tax return in order to claim the credit and potentially get some of it refunded. What changed in 2021? A lot. (laughs) So the American Rescue Plan Act, that big relief package that was passed back in March of 2021, Uh, changed quite a few things about the child tax credit. It expanded the tax credit to a max of $3,600 per qualifying dependent. 
the tax credit became fully refundable. And for the first time in U.S. history, half of that credit was also sent out to folks in the form of advance payments. The advance payments made it so that folks got monthly installments of up to $300 per child from July through December of 2021 as an advance, so they could immediately use that money. Normally, when you apply for a tax credit, you have to wait until you file taxes in April, and then you'll get anything potentially refunded you know, back to you. So the impact of those advance payments were huge. In fact, uh, the Columbia University Center on Poverty and Social Policy estimates that the credit briefly cut child poverty by 30%. So the bad news here is that unless Congress acts to renew these changes, and it's not looking like there's much movement right now, the tax credit for 2022 will revert back. Next up, we've got the Child Independent Care Credit. This credit can help cover the cost of things such as daycare for certain dependents, like kids under the age of 13, or a spouse or parent who is unable to care for themselves. What can you tell us about this credit, Sabrina? This credit is meant to help folks cover the cost of -of out-of-pocket expenses that they made throughout the year for certain types of care provided to a qualifying child under the age of 13. And the kind of care that's considered a qualifying expense can include daycare centers, after-school programs, child sitters, nursery school, preschool, and even care provided by a relative. But you can't claim that relative as a dependent. So, for example, if your 15-year-old is watching your 5-year-old, that doesn't count as a qualifying expense. If you're interested in all the nitty-gritty details, IRS publication 503 has the full details. And as with all credits, though, there's a ton of fine print. So, for example, you generally have to earn some kind of income throughout the year to qualify. And if you share custody of your child, you may need to approach applying for the credit a little bit differently. So make sure to check out the IRS website for the full details. That's great to know, Sabrina. Um, How much is the credit? So prior to 2021, you could receive up to $1,050 for one qualifying person and up to $2,100 for two or more qualifying people. And it was non-refundable. In 2021, the American Rescue Plan made that credit accessible to a much wider range of folks. The credit became potentially refundable. It increased to a max of $4,000 for one dependent or $8,000 for two or more. Unfortunately, if there's no movement from the government to renew these enhancements, then that credit for 2022 will revert back to its original iteration. Next, we're going to talk about the Earned Income Tax Credit. It's not a child care-specific credit but it can, in theory, help low and moderate income families get a refund that can be used toward the cost of running a household, including childcare. The Earned Income Tax Credit is a refundable tax credit that's meant to help low and moderate income families. So put plainly, if you make below a certain amount of income each year, you might be able to get some of that money back as either a refund or as a reduction in your tax bill. In 2022, the most you can make to qualify is around $59,000. Another important thing about this is that you don't necessarily have to have a child in order to claim it, but the amount you qualify for can increase based on the number of kids you have. There's a lot of that fun, fine print to wade through. For example, you have to meet certain income criteria. Your child has to be beneath a certain age. So if you're interested in all the specific details, we have a great breakdown of all of the qualifications on our website. And the IRS also has this really handy interactive qualifier tool on their website. You can use that to kind of figure out if it's the right credit for you. And just as a final note, applying for a lot of these credits 
usually means a slightly delayed refund. So you'd probably get it around mid-February or in this year's case, you know, the IRS was experiencing quite a bit of uh, backlog and delays. A lot of people got their refunds around March 1st. You know, I'm glad these tax credits exist and now I know a lot more about them, but I'm wondering if they are really helping most families, just simply based on the massive percentage of their budgets childcare is taking up. So let's hear what Mai has to say about this from her perspective as an advocate. Most advocates aren't really proponents of these kinds of tax credits because they really require families to be able to pay up front. And for a lot of families, that's just not possible. So those families usually are able to take advantage of the child care subsidies that the federal and state governments put out for families making less than 200% of the federal poverty line. But it's complex and tax credits, I just think, is not a long-term solution to the child care crisis. Being able to front those costs seems to be a real downside to these tax credits. And in the meantime, you have families who don't have that cash and savings, and they might have to resort to putting those costs on a credit card, which can lead to paying interest while you're waiting for that refund to come in. And like Sabrina, you said, the IRS is not always on time, right? So there's some uncertainty around when that refund will hit, which can cause a lot of anxiety for families. So are employers doing anything to help their workers on their end? It depends on your employer, but it's a drop in the bucket. Some employers offer employer-sponsored dependent care flexible spending accounts, or FSA programs for short. Now, if your employer offers this benefit, you can contribute your pre-tax income to an account you use to pay for child care. So who does this benefit, Sabrina? Well, this program is usually a little bit more advantageous to folks who, for one, actually have access to them. Not everybody does. Not every employer offers it. So as you mentioned, FSAs allow you to contribute up to a certain amount of pre-tax funds each year to an account, and those funds can be used to cover qualified childcare expenses. For those who do have access, Sabrina, uh, how much can they contribute? So in 2021, the American Rescue Plan increased the contribution limit to $10,500 for those who are single or married filing jointly, and $5,250 for those who are married filing separately. As of now, the 2022 amounts have reverted back to the standard amount, which is unfortunately much lower. It's about $5,000 for married filing jointly and single or $2,500 for those married filing separately. And just like the child and dependent care credit, special rules apply, you know, in cases of custody or divorced parents. So a few other details to mention because there are many aspects to FSAs that can be tricky to navigate. It's also a use it or lose it type of situation. So you have to decide how much you're going to contribute during open enrollment, which can be tricky when you're not sure what your situation is going to look like. And you generally have to use the funds that you put in an FSA in a year's time. If there's anything left over, you lose access to it. Some employers do offer short grace periods, but always check and understand the terms of your plan. And then the other thing that I also want to mention is that you can take advantage of both the child and dependent care credit as well as an FSA, but you have to avoid what some people call double dipping. That essentially means that you can't get reimbursed for the same expenses that you're going to claim on that credit. So, Sabrina, can parents use these employer-sponsored FSAs to cover things like summer camps, too? I'm thinking about all the parents who are struggling to piece together care for the summer while they're still working full-time, but schools are out of session. 
That's a great question. And the good news is that, yes, you can use FSA funds for a number of child care related services. It covers more or less the same expenses as the child independent care credit. So for qualifying dependents under 13, money that's spent on summer camps, daycare expenses, preschool, child sitters, and nursery school expenses, all of those qualify. Of course, this isn't an exhaustive list, so there are a lot of exceptions. For example, you can't get reimbursed, as I mentioned, for one of your older kids watching a younger one. And you also can't get reimbursed for tuition for kids once they hit kindergarten and above. So if you want to get an exhaustive list, check out the IRS website. You know, when I spoke with Mai about using FSA funds to cover summer camp costs, she mentioned that some camps require all the costs up front, which can amount to a big chunk of change. Here's what she had to say about her experience paying for summer camp for her daughter this year. I actually used the FSA for that because I had to pay something like $2,600 up front for my daughter's summer camp. I mean, my husband and I both work full-time jobs. We needed something that would give her an enriching, fun summer experience that also would make sure she was safe and like occupied during those business hours. It's wild to think that on top of regular childcare costs, parents are also having to pay a lot in summer camps, which basically function as childcare when school is out. And while FSAs are one way to help save for these costs, these programs are not offered by every employer. And even then, FSAs only cover a small portion of the total costs many families are paying to make sure their kids have a safe and ideally fun and educational place to go while they're working. These tax credits and employer-sponsored FSAs are only a piece of the puzzle. What's next? What about like public assistance programs? First, be sure to check resources at the state level because every state has a child care assistance agency. And many states expanded their eligibility criteria during the pandemic. Another great resource is Child Care Aware of America. When you go to their website, childcareaware.org, you can link up with your local child care and resource referral agency. They even offer a handy dandy checklist of things to ask when taking a tour of a child care center, an in-home care center, or even a preschool. Um, and this is something I actually used when I was looking for childcare back in DC because my first child, I had no idea what kinds of questions to ask or what I should be looking for. And this was an amazing resource. There's also a section on their website where you can learn more about childcare regulations just to make sure that the provider you're considering is compliant. They also provide a map outlining important childcare resources by state. It's a really amazing resource and a great first place to start if you're feeling overwhelmed and uncertain. So, how does FMLA fit into this? The Family and Medical Leave Act, or FMLA, provides 12 weeks of job-protected unpaid time off for personal medical leave, like having a baby, or family caregiving leave, or new parent bonding. Parents can take it right after the birth of a child or within the first year of a child's life. There are a few important caveats, though, but the biggest is that to qualify, you have to have been at your job for a year. So I work at NerdWallet, I'm based in Utah, but I've been at my job for less than a year. So if NerdWallet didn't offer paid leave, I, for example, wouldn't qualify for FMLA. This makes it especially hard for part-time, contingent, and low-income workers to access the benefit. Only 56% of U.S. workers are eligible for FMLA. But as you can imagine, it's hard for many U.S. families to take unpaid time off. Okay, so you've laid this out. If you're lucky, you get unpaid leave that protects your job for three months. When my daughter was born, I had to scrape together all my vacation and sick days, 
and cobbled together this like three month parental leave plan because I didn't qualify for FMLA. I hadn't been at that job for a year. But my husband had it even worse. He recently started a job with the federal government, with the federal government, no less, and hadn't accrued much time off at all. So between my induction and C-section, I spent like a week in the hospital, which he took off unpaid. He stayed home with us for a week, basically burning up all his time off. And then he went back to work. So we had very little time together as a family of three. Now, of course, the federal government offers employees 12 weeks of paid leave which will be a total game changer if we decide to have another kid. But the previous policy was really tough on us as a family. Okay, so we've covered some resources at the federal level, thanks to Sabrina. We've looked at state level resources. But I do think we'd be remiss if we didn't offer some basic budgeting advice to see if we can help parents get some extra breathing room. Well, let's just be clear. There's no amount of budgeting tips or tricks that will make childcare affordable for many families. In fact, nearly all of the parents we'd heard from seemed to have a good handle on their budgets, and they'd taken on side hustles to get extra money or cut out personal spending altogether. Yeah, I've totally been there before, and I know how challenging it can be on your mental health to be working long hours just to barely make ends meet. But I think the takeaway here is like being mindful of your budget and where your money is going each month can help you identify spending patterns you might want to change. A budget is like a living document, and it It needs to be changed and adapt based on the season of life that you're in. So it's worth circling back and reassessing your spending. With that in mind, let's talk to NerdWallet personal finance expert Kim Palmer to see what kinds of budgeting advice she might have for parents. Kim has been covering personal finance topics for more than 15 years, and her latest book is about moms and budgeting. So I think she's going to be a great resource. Thanks for joining us, Kim. Let's talk about budgeting in a real general sense. Many of the parents, like Lisa said, that we've heard from seem to be watching their budgets closely, like every dollar has a purpose. But are there any tips or advice that might be helpful to them as they revisit and rethink things this year? It can be really hard to change your costs that are the same every month. So things like your rent or housing, utilities, transportation, if you're making debt payments, all of those things are really hard to change. But you also have variable costs that you pay each month. So things like your food, clothing, child-related purchases like toys, all of those variable expenses are easier to change because they fluctuate. And so if you can really focus on drilling into those and trying to cut back there, it can make it easier to shift your budget. And one of the best ways to do that is to really plug into your local parent network because you can often pick up a lot of the kid-related items for free because kids grow so fast and often your neighbors, they might not need that bag of clothes anymore or the crib or high chair and you can pick it up for free and that can really help you save money. Is there a guideline around how much of their take-home pay families should be capping their childcare spending? I know that many finance experts suggest people spend no more than 30% of their income on housing, for example. Is there something like that for childcare? There's not a guideline, and I think there's a really good reason why there's not. First of all, childcare costs really vary so much by location. And if you live in a big city, for example, then your cost could be double or even more than double what someone else pays in another part of the country. And the fact is, in some cases, you will be paying more than your take-home pay just to get through these really expensive toddler years. And if you can get through it and hold on to your job, 
you'll actually be in a better position after all of those hard childcare years are over because you'll have been earning money that whole time and you'll continue to earn money. On the other hand, if you leave the job market, you're sacrificing not just the money you earn today, but also potentially your long-term earnings as well. So I think that's why there's really not a simple calculation for how you make that choice because there are so many factors involved. And it means that it's really not just about crunching the numbers, but it's also about really reflecting on what makes the most sense for you and for your family. Your point about spending more than your take-home pay on childcare is an important one, I think. You know, anecdotally, at least, I've heard stories where mothers in particular drop out of the workforce because childcare costs are equal to or even more than their take-home pay. And it just seems like the logical thing to do when you're in that moment. But can you walk us through why parents should give this decision some more thought? I think when you are calculating those childcare decisions for yourself and for your family, you really can't just look at your current annual budget or your monthly budget because the choices that you make today really impact your future earning potential as well. And I think it's really easy to make the mistake of saying, oh, you know, all my take home pay is going towards childcare, so I should stop working. But it's actually so much more complicated than that because the choice that you make also impacts that future earning potential that you have. And I think that's what makes this so different compared to other budgeting decisions. Kim, thanks for helping us think about how these financial decisions can impact parents in the long run. While not all parents are going to be able to keep working just to pay for childcare, I think some of these long-term considerations don't get enough attention. And they can have a big impact on parents' financial futures, especially when it comes to saving enough for retirement. Amanda, have you made any tweaks to your budget since adding childcare? Absolutely. Um, the biggest thing is pretty drastic, actually. We moved from Washington, D.C. to the Atlanta area to get childcare help from my parents. My parents are retired. And I realize now saying this, like, it's not something that is accessible to anyone. Like, to just pick up and move to have a remote job like I do gives me the flexibility to do that. And it's absolutely a privilege. It has been a huge help in the budget though. In the fall, we do plan to send our daughter to like a half day preschool program that, you know, just hold your breath here. It's only $200 a month. Um, we were paying $1,360 for like full-time infant care. This is like a half day situation, but this kind of half day preschool program was something that didn't even exist in the Northern Virginia area where we were living. So we're definitely going to take advantage of that. And we're actually going to use my husband's FSA program to pay for that. The other smaller thing that we've done lately is review our household subscriptions. Most of the time, these sneak up on me. They like auto renew without me even really realizing it until I look at like my credit card statement. I'm like, this seems really high. And of course, like all three of them hit the same month or something and my budget just gets busted. So recently, one of the things that we looked at was our Sirius XM subscription on our car. My husband and I both work remotely now, and we don't have the long commutes that we used to. So we were like, you know what, let's just cancel it. It's not like, you know, I, I'm not rich now by any stretch of the imagination. It's like $160 a year. You know, childcare is not all of a sudden affordable, but it did feel really good to create a little bit of wiggle room in our budget, and we could now redirect that money toward some of our other savings goals. 
We have covered a lot of ground today and worked our way from federal tax policies to state-level resources to personal finance tips. Well, that's all we have for this episode. I hope that we've helped clarify some of the federal and employer benefits that can feel really overwhelming to parents. Our goal is to clarify life's financial decisions and help people make them with more confidence. If you have questions about managing the cost of childcare, reach us on the NERD hotline by calling 901-730-6373. That's 901-730-NERD or email podcast at nerdwallet.com. Also, visit nerdwallet.com slash podcast for more info on this episode. And remember to follow, rate, and review us wherever you're getting this podcast. And here's our brief disclaimer, thoughtfully crafted by NerdWallet's legal team. Your questions are answered by knowledgeable and talented finance writers, but we're not financial or investment advisors. This nerdy info is provided for general, educational, and entertainment purposes and may not apply to your specific circumstances. And with that said, until next time, turn to the nerds.